Will Lutz. 58-yard attempt for the win! Got it! That's how it sounded last night on ESPN-TV as Will Lutz and the New Orleans Saints rally to take down the Houston Texans 30-28 to on Monday night football. Joe Testor in the call. I'm Tanner Hoops. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. What a way to end week one of what's been a really good start to the NFL season. Last night, Deshaun Watson shows why he is one of the most elite quarterbacks in the NFL, why the Texans need to make him a long-term investment and give him some offensive line protection, which they've started doing which they've taken steps toward doing, and they need to continue to build off of. Takes them down the field, two plays, 75 yards. They take the lead with under a minute to play, but they left 37 seconds on the clock, and that was more than enough time for Uncle Drew. The NFL's Uncle Drew. Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints set up Lutz for a 58-yard field goal. He makes it after missing from 56 early in the game. And the New Orleans Saints are victorious over Houston. I didn't originally plan on staying up for the late game, Denver at Oakland. But I didn't. It turned out to be a pretty good game. Although I didn't see Oakland winning that one, they looked pretty good doing so. Vindication for John Gruden, Mike Mayock, Derek Carr, the Raider fan base, the Black Hole. Vindicated after the Antonio Brown saga that they were dragged through. All in all, pretty good week of NFL football. And we're going to have a pretty good show today. I tell you what, I had some regrets about staying up that late for the game. Game got over, what, a little after 1 a.m. I still had stuff to do. I got my nightlies done. I got into bed, then remembered I still had stuff I needed to do for work. So then I got to sleep maybe a little after 2. I was in one of those worst places today where you wake up and you're stuck in limbo because it's not 4 a.m. like you hope when you check your phone. You still have a few more hours to sleep. No, I woke up 25 minutes before my alarm. There was nothing I could do. But I had my coffee, and now I don't have any regrets anymore about staying up to watch an excellent football game out on the West Coast. Glad to have you here for what should be an excellent show, the Sports Pen Living here on ESPN-UP. We're going to take our first break a little bit early, coming up here in a couple of minutes. I'm going to turn it over to the ESPN-UP phone line for most of the show today. We're going to talk baseball. i got a special guest analyst who's going to come on here for the back end of our show. And then... In a couple minutes, we're going to turn it over to Stu Gatz of the Dan Lebitard Show. We are about to make history here on ESPN-UP. Stu Gatz, co-host of the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gatz, which is on here from 10 to 1 every weekday, is going to join me on the ESPN-UP phone line here in just a couple of minutes. I tell you what, that is going to be one fun interview. Glad to have you along wherever it is you may be listening from. My sources tell me Stu Gatz is ready. Hope you are too. Let's take our first time out. A little early. This might be our earliest time out, but we're going to get Stugatz in here, and we are going to have some fun. Stugatz, Sports Pen, Collision Course, next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Tuesday afternoon. Well, if you listen to this station from 10 to 1 weekday afternoons, you'll recognize my next guest. The co-host of the Dan Libtard Show with Stu Gatz. Join us on the ESPN-UP phone line from Miami. It's Stu Gatz. What's up, Stu? I appreciate you being with us. What's going on, man? Is, is, did you say your last name was, was it, it Tanner Hoops? It is like, Tanner Hoops. Uh, do you that ever is, do I a promo you, for me? Yeah, I, no, I got to tell like like Hoops, like basketball? It's my given last name. I get that a lot, but I've never changed it. 
Oh, my God. Why would you change it? It's the greatest <laughs> name in sports radio. I mean, Tanner Hoops. Listen, my name is my last name is Wiener. So, I mean, you're doing fine, man. <laughs> it worked out pretty well for you, so I'm hoping things go the same way. Yeah. But, Stu Gatz, I know that in most places this is true, but you've got a lot of fans up here in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Have you ever been up this way? Uh, I have been up that way, and I'll be up that way uh, again in the next couple of weeks. I'm either going to the Michigan-Ohio State game, uh, probably Michigan-Ohio State. Now, I've been up there recently a couple of times uh, for Michigan's lacrosse camp. Uh, my daughter's one of the best 2022 lacrosse players in the country, so I've been up there. Uh, and Michigan is on the list of schools that she's interested in, so I've been there was it, like two times in the last uh, in the last six seven months, and uh, and we love it up there. So it's uh, it's great. I got a niece who's uh, who's a sophomore there right now. I tell you what, Stu Gatz, you hit it perfectly because I wanted to bring up Michigan football to you. I wanted to bring up lacrosse because I've been told I don't talk about that enough. You know, lacrosse <laughs> is one of those things I wish I was into when I was younger. It's like learning a different language. I wish I did it when I was younger because it looks fascinating. I've just never understood it. I've done play-by-play for eight different sports, never lacrosse. How'd you get into lacrosse? I mean, listen, so I grew up, where'd you grow up, Tanner? I grew up in Iowa. Okay, so that explains why you've never heard of it, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and why you're not familiar with it. Uh, where I grew up, which is Long Island uh, in New York, uh, it's kind of like a like a rite of passage. It's like no one tells you to play lacrosse; you just end up playing lacrosse. And what happens? You'll arrive at a certain age, just walking around town, and every single boy and girl uh, in town will be walking around with a lacrosse stick. So. Uh, you see it, and you know you're aware of the game. You're aware of how important that area of the country. And so, you know, it's funny growing up. It was it, it was you played lacrosse. You grew up in Fort Washington, out of Long Island, or Garden City, or Manhattan, any one of these towns. Uh, that's page, and, and you played lacrosse. And so, um, you know, that's that's kind of how I got into it, just by you know geographical and uh, the sports so big there. But what's been cool about it? is to see the sport spread uh, to so many different places where now uh, Michigan, at least on the women's side, has a top-ten program. And, you know, it's out in Colorado, and the University of Denver just won a men's NCAA championship. So uh, when I grew up, it was Maryland, North Carolina, and that was about it. Now, Syracuse, and now it seems like just about every uh, major college is, uh, is, is adopting the sport and, and, and loving the sport, which is, which is cool for me to see. It's a great sport. Well, Stu, I know you do a little bit of coaching as well, and one of my favorite stories of yours is getting ejected after arguing with an official. (laughs) (laughs) For our listeners who haven't heard it, uh, would you be willing to share a little bit of that? Uh, Which one? (laughs) (laughs) Your favorite. Uh, Listen, I am a uh, a passionate coach. Uh, We have taken, you know, talk about lacrosse spreading, and I'll answer your question in just a second. Um, Never in my lifetime did I imagine that, you know, places like the University of Michigan, the University of Florida would have elite lacrosse programs, and never in my wildest dreams when I when I started coaching my daughter did I think, you know, 15 or 16, uh, you know, 15-year-old girls, or 15 now, 2022, did I think that they would turn into the best travel team in the country, and they have. So I'm proud of that, but with that... Um, and listen, they love their coach uh, because I'm on ESPN and i got a national platform and I talk about them all the time. They love me when I do that. They hate me when I get kick, uh, kicked out of tournaments. And so <laughs> they're embarrassed by it. And, and so um, 
I don't want to say I have a bad temper, but what annoys me about lacrosse before I tell the story is, listen, I didn't tell you to be a referee. It's the referee, okay? I didn't tell you to be a referee, okay? I didn't, like, I didn't seek you out and say, hey, this would be a good profession for you. But since you chose to be a referee, would it hurt you? Would it harm you at all to take a couple of hours and learn the rules of the sport that you're referee? I don't think that's too much to ask. And so... With that in mind, we were at a, uh, a tournament up in, in Palm Beach down in South Florida, and um, one of the referees was just, she wasn't calling the game correctly, and, and she was letting me have it, and I was letting her have it. And, and then, uh, you know, the game ended, we lost the game, it was a tough loss, and, she, and I let it go, and I assumed that she had let it go. I was walking away to our next game, to the field that we were playing that I came on, and she said something to me, and I walked up to her. Oh, she asked if she could talk to me, and I said, sure. And she kind of castigated me and told me what I did wrong and how I, you know, could better next time, to which I said, well, <laughs> I said, here, you want the laundry list of things you did wrong during the game? Like, who are you? And she didn't take that very well. And then I said to her, she was, she was tiny, and I'm tiny, too. Uh, so we were looking at each other eye to eye. And... Um, no, I just, I just said to her, listen, that Napoleon complex, it doesn't look good on you. And um, she didn't take that too well. So she didn't just kick me out of the tournament. She kicked me out of the entire park, okay? And we had two more games to play. And so I had no choice. When they kick you out of the park, uh, you're kicked out. And so I was kicked out of the park. But I took a page out of Bobby Valentine's book. I went to a costume store. I got a big fluffy mustache. I came back. I look like a completely different person, and I coached my team from the parents' sideline, and no one knew. Stugatz, to your knowledge, has there ever been another coach who has been kicked out of a tournament while there is no game being played? Uh, no. <laughs> There's a first for everything, and that's the first time a, a coach was kicked out of a youth league tournament uh, while no game was being played. Now, listen, kind of in my defense, I mean, she could have let it go. Like, the game was over. I was going my way. She was going her way. Like, she could have let that thing go. But she called me over, and she started instigating again. And so, uh, but here's what I say about the referees. It's the only time in their lives that, they, you know, when they, they control everything. And for that one hour, man, they let you know that they have control of the entire situation. And uh, she, she had control, and there was nothing I could do. I could, listen, I wanted to kick her out of the tournament, but I couldn't. So... <laughs> She kicked me out, man. So how do you like that move, though? I mean, the little Bobby Valentine mustache, the whole disguise. I came back, I coached the sideline. How about that? That's why we love you, Stu. <laughs> it's weird because what Dan says is the more times you tell stories like this, um, the more fans you get. And I'm just like, <laughs> and it's reflecting the damn. But what I keep telling them is, you know, listen, I'm relatable. I'm married. I have kids. I'm a coach. Um, Things get out of hand sometimes. They got a bad temper. Uh, you know, I just did. Not everyone can live four blocks from uh, the studios on South Beach overlooking the ocean and just walk to work every day. I mean, he's not married, although he's about to get married. But he doesn't understand how I do these crazy, ridiculous things. And it empowers me. It emboldens me. And ultimately, what he got to is a larger fan base. Well, Stu, I wanted to ask you about some of your guys that you work with on the show. You and yeah. Dan obviously make a great team on air. Are you guys friends off air? You know, like hang out, go to the bar, watch the game? No. I mean, are we friends? Yeah. Do we have a great admiration for each other? Uh, I think so. At least I know I have I have that for him. I'm not sure if he has it for me. Um, and, I, and I don't want to paint a picture that we're not friends. We just we live two completely different lives. I respect the hell out of him. I love him. 
Um, you don't do this for, you know, I've spent more time with them the last 15 years than I have with my wife. I mean, it's, it's three to four hours every day, uh, sometimes more than that. And so uh, I think there's a mutual respect we have for each other, for the roles that we play, for the acceptance of those roles. Um, radio's a weird thing, as you know. It's hard to do by yourself, by the way. I'm, I'm impressed that you do it. Um, but we complement each other. We're, we're completely opposite, uh, both on air and off air. That's, there, there's no stick there. And you know, I, I think the reason we don't hang out um, off air as much as, as people would think is, again, we're, we're, we're leading two completely separate lives. Uh, until recently, Dan has been a bachelor his entire life, lives on South Beach, lives in a beautiful place, overlooks the ocean, walks to work, walks home from work, three blocks. I live an hour and a half north of our studios. Uh, I have a wife. I have two kids. Uh, so I don't have time to hang out with Dan. He has all the time in the world. Um, and with that said, I don't think he wants to spend it hanging out with me. And so uh, we just we just kind of get along. We have a mutual understanding and respect for one another. And uh, and the show just works. And in this business, you never know. Like, when you find chemistry, you latch on to it with everything you have. And Dan and I realized pretty early on that we had we had pretty amazing chemistry. Talking with Stu Gatz of the Dan Lebitard Show. Tanner Hoops with you on ESPN-UP. Well, Stu, I know that you're based in Miami. You're well away from the headquarters in Bristol. But other than the guys that you work with on a daily basis, the other crew members on the Lebitard Show, who would you say is maybe your best friend at ESPN, some guy that you've really gotten to know within the company? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Outside of the guys on my show, you're saying? Right. Uh, wow. I, 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 listen, I'd like to say Jimmy Pitaro. Although in my mind, in my crazy mind, I probably think that he and I are friends. Uh, you know, we've, we've exchanged texts and emails. Um, but I'm trying to think, who has become my closest friend? At, now listen, you're talking to a guy who thinks everyone is, is his friend, okay? So in my mind, me and Greedy are best friends. Uh, you ask Greedy if we're best friends, I'm sure I'll tell you no. Um... <laughs> But I've gotten close with, with Brady, with Adam Schefter. Um, I, I guess it's not a sexy name, but the guy who produces my podcast is probably the guy who's become my closest friend, and that's and that Dan Stanton. He used to produce Mike and Mike, uh, and now he produces my podcast, and uh, he has become he's become a really, really good friend, uh, a trusted friend, and someone who, who I like a lot, I love, and I admire. So I would say on, on the names where, where, where people, you know, maybe they don't know, it would be Dan Stanton. And in terms of, of people that they do know, I would say, you know, either like Mina Kimes, Diana Rossini, Dominique Foxworth, uh, Pablo, Balbani, people like that. People who are friends of our show, you know. Well, Stu Gatz, I want to circle back to Michigan before we run out of time. They squeaked by Army the other day, and I know you've got a little bit of an attraction with Michigan, as do a lot of our listeners up here. What kind of season do you see for them this year? Uh, it's interesting, right? Because, like, I've been railing against Jim Harbaugh for a while. Like I, like I don't understand how he avoids the hot seat. He was brought in there to beat Ohio State. He's yet to beat Ohio State. He was brought in there to make it to the Final Four. He's yet to make it to the Final Four. He was there to be, to win Big Ten championship. Uh, he hasn't done that. Um, they come out flat in their first two games. Uh, he has the quarterback he wants, Jay Patterson. Yet he's not doing much with uh, the quarterback that he wanted. And let's keep in mind that quarterback. Uh, in high school, his senior year was projected as the best pro-style quarterback in the country, and Jim Harbaugh has not done a lot of winning uh, with that team. And so I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. I'm not sure they're going to beat Notre Dame. Uh, I'm not even certain they're going to 
you know, I think every game has got it's got a game to game with them. I mean, they struggled against Army. They should have lost that game. The game they won it. They probably should have lost that game. And I felt terrible uh, for Army in that spot. What I don't get is how Jim uh, Jim Harbaugh is never on the hot seat, and Michigan just it seems like Michigan wants him there uh, for the remainder of his coaching career. And I don't get it. It's, it's 2019, where it's more win now than we've ever had it in the history of sports, certainly in that sport football. Here you have a guy who's not winning now and yet seems to have total job security, and I just don't understand it. I will tell you this, if they don't beat Ohio State this year without Urban Meyer on their home field at the big house, I don't see how Jim Harbaugh survives that, but I'm guessing he probably will. What do you think? I think you're right. I think Harbaugh's got security there. I I know. I'm not saying it's right, but I I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, listen, it'd be great if they fired him and hired Urban Meyer. There you go. <laughs> Although well, Urban Meyer, love that? Well, like that? I, mean, you know. I think it'd be a transition period. If he starts winning, then they love it. Okay. Although you well, said the ask, other day, I'm, I'm, interest, I'm interested by this. Like, are Michigan fans are they down on Jim Harbaugh, or or am I reading this incorrectly? If anyone starts winning there, if anyone starts getting Michigan to the Final Four, I think they'll come to warm up to him pretty quick. Okay, so they don't care, right? So Jim or Urban or whomever it is. They don't get, as long as they start winning, which is which is fine. That's like most fan bases. Um, we care about ourselves. We don't care about anything else. Um, we care about our feel good and, and and whether our teams win. But 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 they love Jim Harbaugh. There, am I wrong? You're not wrong. No, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I really don't. I, listen, every coach. I mean, let me ask you this: Ryan Day goes a couple. Of, he has a, he puts up a couple of Jim Harbaugh type years at Iowa State. You think he's going to last long there? Oh no. Yeah, and that's what I don't understand. So, listen, I understand he went to Michigan. I understand he's a gritty guy. He was a great coach in the NFL, but it has not translated well to college. And, and so it confuses me as to why he has – it seems like he has total job security. Uh, I can't imagine, though, if he loses here, and I think he will, at home to Ohio State, I can't imagine him surviving that. So we'll see. Stu, so guys, last few minutes I have with you, I want to do something kind of fun. It was a year ago next week that I made the move up here. And I tell you what, it's been a transition trying to get used to some of the city names around here, some of the team nicknames, what have you. I was getting hate mail six days into my tenure here because I couldn't figure out how to pronounce some of these names. You are about as popular as you can get on ESPN Radio. I want to give you some of these names, and if you can't get it, I have a perfect excuse. I have a legitimate reason why nobody at ESPN would be able to get some of these. That good with you? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that, that is totally fair. What's funny about all of this is I mispronounce stuff, and it makes me more popular. You do it, you get yelled at. <laughs> what the hell's going on here? <laughs> First one I have. I a, it just dawned on me. I have landed in an incredible spot. Uh, the more I sell, the more popular I become. This is amazing. <laughs> you got to work on that. First one I've got on here is spelled N E G A U N E E. Oh God, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I'm dry, I'm going 85 miles per hour on, on I-95 right now. Uh, all right, spell it again. <laughs> spell it again. N E G A U N E E. Can I hear it in a sentence, please, Al uh, <laughs> All right, Nagoon. Nag- uh, somewhat uh, Nagani, the Nagani Miners. Nagani, I don't know, Kevin Nagandi. Ke- that's exactly how I learned it. On the way up here, <laughs> I had to picture Kevin Nagandi and make it rhyme somehow. All right, close okay, enough. So, so, so it's Nagani, Michigan. Is that what you're saying? Nagani, Michigan, you bet. All right, good. How All about M E N O M I N E E? 
M E N. I know spelling. I, I speaking this out on the it's probably not great radio, but this is the way I have to do it. M E N. What was the uh, what was the rest there? O M I N O M E E. Manabi. Manabi. Close enough. Man- I'll give yeah. it to you. <laughs> yes. I'll give that one to yes. you. Yes. Yes. I want like a buzzer or something when I get one right. All right. What else do you got? How about uh, this one? It's French. Oh God. <laughs> S-A- the great difficulty gets, gets, gets harder as we go along here. We, we move up another level. Okay. You got S-A-U-L-T, S-T-E-M-A-R-I-E. M-A-R-I-E, M-A-R. False St. Paris. Close enough. <laughs> Sault Ste. Yeah. Marie. All right, we'll, we'll take it. We'll what did I say, Paris? What the hell was I doing? Paris? You know what? Yeah. I think you're doing better than I was my first week out here. <laughs> Paul say Paul say Paris, right? Paris. Sault Saint Marie. Okay. Uh, uh, I, I, listen, I'm not doing terrible. I mean, you live there, so I, at least I have an excuse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tell you what, the nicknames up here, not just the city names, but the nicknames take a little bit of getting used to. I love some of them up here. You've got the Speed Boys. You've got the Flivers. Can you spell Flivers? Flivers? Uh, Flivers. Flippers, F L I B B E R S. There you go, Flippers. Yeah. <laughs> and my All favorite right. one, I think, up here though, is the Nimrods. The Nimrods. Um, I can spell that actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I am R O D S. You got it, Stu Gods. You passed. Yes. Yes. Listen, something about Michigan makes me pronounce things better and spell things better. I might have to move there. <laughs> You're going to have to come up here more often. I tell you what, if you want to push your Sioux Falls trip off a little bit more, we'd love to have you in Marquette, Michigan. Good breweries up here. All right, listen, I'm telling you right now, uh, how far is it from Ann Arbor? Uh, it's probably about six and a half hours. Oh, jeez. Uh, okay, how far is it from Detroit? Probably about five, five, six hours. You guys are on the other side of the state. We're huh? in the Upper Peninsula. Upper Peninsula. Okay. Uh, listen, I'm going to be in Michigan hopefully a lot in the next 12 months. So I will make a point uh, to get up there and hang out with you guys, and we'll have some fun. And But listen, there's got to be, I'm telling you right now, there has to be some golf, okay? Like, all right. And it's got to, uh, golf on you guys, okay? I ain't paying for anything, all right? I'm going to make it a trek up there. Like golf, a nice dinner, some drinks, all that kind of good stuff. You, you can make that happen, right? Golf on us, drinks on us. We're going to hold you to it. I mean, my brother goes to college in Sioux Falls, and he's still waiting for that trip. But I tell well, you what. Listen, I, here, I'm glad you brought that up because here's the deal. I cannot come there until I go to Sioux Falls first, okay? Like, okay. Like, 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 I am telling you, if I go to another city before I go to their city, um, like, they're going to hunt me down, okay? <laughs> and, so, and I'm terrified of those people in Sioux Falls because okay? they got nothing better to do. And so what I'm telling you is i got to go there first, but I plan on going very soon the next month or two uh, for Stu Falls Day. It's, they're giving me a key to the city. I have no idea why. And, um, and so I'll do that, and then I will make the trip up. Uh, it's like a trek, really, as you call it, to Michigan, okay? Everything's on us, Stu. Drinks, golf, we're looking forward to having you. I appreciate you taking the time, Stu. This was a lot of fun. We'll be listening. I'm sure all of us are going to, and we'd love to have you on again sometime.
All right, great. And I'm going to tell you this. I mean, don't be surprised if when I go on the air tomorrow, I've stolen your last name and they start calling me students, okay? <laughs> Stu Gatz from the Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gatz. Let's take a timeout. We'll talk a little baseball after this on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along this Tuesday afternoon. Here's your Sports Center update. Medal favorite Serbia has been bounced in the FIBA World Cup quarterfinals by Argentina 97-87 this morning despite a double-double effort from Nikola Jokic. Lynn Swan has abruptly resigned as athletic director at USC. A search for a replacement begins immediately. And finally, former Northern Michigan hockey player Tom Laidlaw is going to be a cast member on the 39th season of Survivor. Laidlaw was part of the original Northern Michigan hockey team and skated for the New York Rangers in the 1980s. Laidlaw, at age 60, will become one of the oldest Survivor contestants in show history and the first with NHL experience to participate. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad you're along as always. Let's keep it here with the ESPN UP phone line and let's go out to the East Coast. I'm joined by Andrew Banstra, play by play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. Can talk a little baseball, transition to some football later on. Andrew and I co host the Interference Podcast on Apple Podcast as well. Andrew, always good talking to my man. How you doing? Hey, it's going great, Tanner. You know, I always love talking to you and I always appreciate you having me on the show. It's always a Something I look forward to. Well, it's always fun to look and see how the Blue Crabs are doing. you still got a couple weeks in the season left. How are the Crabs doing lately? Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, have to be one of those magical playoff runs if we want to get into it. it it's been um, the, the best half the team has had since 2017, but um, the team has dropped a couple of late, 28 and 29 right now, six back with 13 to go, so... Basically, it's one of those things where if you want to get to the playoffs, you basically have to win out. I like our schedule if, if, if we do have the chance to win out, but I don't, I don't love our odds. But it's, it's been a great season. It's, it's been really fun and a lot of interesting changes going on, and it's, it's been a great year. A really memorable moment for you earlier, you got to call history the first steal of first base. The Atlantic League, of course, the testing ground for a lot of major league baseball policies, what have you. But I tell you what, things have been taken off since that point. A lot's been happening, a lot of recognition, what have you, from some prominent companies around the country. Tony Thomas, the player who actually stole the base, he's been recognized quite a bit. If you could, tell me about some of the endeavors that have happened since. Yeah, man, it's, it's been really surreal. Um, it was seen everywhere from Fox and Friends to uh, CBS Sports Instagram to Fox News' website to just about everything you could ever imagine. Um, Tony is actually, uh, he's absolutely exploded ever since, not only, you know, media-wise, but statistically. He, uh, he has the ninth best batting average in the league since that day at 311, but before that day he was hitting 230. So he's really exploded his cleats. Uh, the, the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum in Cooperstown requested his cleats from that night. Um, and on that night his cleats were inducted. He went four for four with two doubles and two RBIs. So he's had quite the season. Um, but yeah, it's a really interesting rule. The rule is essentially designed to offset the automatic ball strike system. So, of course, the electronic strike zone 
is said to make life a little bit too easy on a catcher. A catcher no longer has to frame a pitch. A catcher no longer has to, you know, do all the little things that a catcher has to do to prove a strike. So the idea was that, okay, well, since now that's a thing, if any ball is not caught in flight, the batter has the opportunity to steal first base. Essentially, a drop third strike is valid on any pitch in any situation. Um, and that made things really, really interesting. I don't know that the catchers love it, and I understand that with good reason. That being said, I think that how I'll cap that off is that I play in an adult men's league. Many times in the game of baseball, people say, you know, change can't happen, blah, blah, blah. There was a whole bunch of balls that got away from the catcher in not a drop third strike situation. And my first thought was, is he going to steal first base? Which shows you that despite the fact that I've been around the game since I can remember, I'm already extremely accustomed to change. So it, it comes faster than I would have thought of. And um, it, it's really, really been exciting. It's been a really interesting season and a really good year for the Blue Crack. Andrew, you mentioned how catchers no longer have to frame a pitch to try to get an extra cold strike. And if the automatic ball strike system were to come to Major League Baseball, our own Jeff Passan believes this could happen within the next five years. That could change the whole market for a catcher because you think about catchers who are defensively challenged but are really good offensively. I'm thinking about James McCann from Chicago just off the top of my head. It could change the whole dynamic of a catcher in baseball, and it could completely change the market value for them as well. Yeah, and I've actually I've heard something bounce around. I believe it was from the MLB saying that they – you know, the whole basis of these rules is that they want more offense. And I believe they wanted the catcher to be a more athletic individual, which would basically result in, you know, if a catcher constantly has to be on his game and block balls and sprint back to the backstop, well, then a catcher probably does have to be more athletic, which in turn would likely create more offense in the game. So, you know, it's, it's been really interesting, and that's going to be something that's interesting. But to the point of the electronic ball strike system, just kind of a checkup on that. What the players are saying is that, and this is what I'm seeing as well, the players are saying that the corners are just perfect. Now, that's hitters that are saying that. Um, There's really no longer such thing as a pitcher's pitch. You know, a ball and a half on the outside corner is not going to be called a strike. It is pinpoint on the corners. It couldn't be more perfect. Now, in terms of high and low, there's a lot of progress that can that needs to be made before it gets to the major league level. Um, I think that a lot of that has to do with the really interesting thing that we ran into in that, of course, for example, we have a guy that's 5'10 and a half. Ken Blackstone is his name. And why wouldn't he lift himself at six foot? Not going to hurt him. And everybody does it. Everybody gives himself a couple inches. Well, the way that this electronic ball strike system reads the strike zone is based off of your given height. So it's reading him as a six-foot batter when in all reality he's 5'10 and a half. So that's an extra two to three inches that are added to his strike zone. So for the first couple of weeks that it was enacted, he was getting strikes called at his shoulder. So it's something that you don't really think about, but there's still not only that, but there's the fact that guys squat really deep into their stance and some guys stand straight up and down. So... The ups and the downs of the strike zone are something that definitely need to be worked out before it gets to a major league level. 
But if all we were focusing on was corners, it could get into the NLB as we speak right now. Talk with Andrew Banstra, play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, friend of the show here in ESPN-UP, talk a little baseball. Well, I tell you what, Andrew, it may not be a postseason year for the Blue Crabs, but it is for your New York Yankees. Congrats to your guys eliminating Boston from AL East contention last night. A good night all around at the ballpark, especially as David Ortiz makes his first public appearance since the assassination attempt in the Dominican Republic a few months ago. Good to see him back, but also a good night for you in the sense that the Yankees get the win at Fenway. Yeah, and of course I'm obviously very happy to see the Yankees, you know, knock out the Red Sox. But there's something that needs to be said about the fact that as big of a Yankees fan and as big of a Red Sox hater that I am, I mean, even before all this, Big Poppy's a guy you got to respect. I mean, he's just a gamer. He's a guy you got to love. He brings happiness and love and passion to the game every day. And to see the fact that he's back out on the field was just really, really inspiring. But, you know, it's, um, it's been an interesting season for the Yankees in terms of injuries, but somehow they've been able to play pretty darn well. 95-50 and 50 as you sit, but hey, Tanner, your Twins are doing pretty well too. They're hanging around there. The Twins looking like they're going to win their division as well. I tell you what, though, the Houston Astros another team in the American League that's playing really good baseball right now. 36 runs in their last two games. 36 runs on 39 hits, by the way. They're tied with the Yankees for the top spot in the American League. You think New York holds them off? Yeah, that's just what I don't know. The thing is, is that you know, I'd love to see Seve get back, but I don't know that you can put him back in the starting role. I think that he has one more rehab start before Luis Severino comes back to the Yankees. There's been talk all season about, well, maybe he just slides back into the bullpen. I think the starting pitching for the Yankees to come out of the All-Star break was extremely, extremely alarming, some of the worst rates in the MLB. It settled down. I'd still love to see Seve slide back in, but I think you hold that off till next season if possible. Um, I don't know. I, as much as I, it kills me to say it, I'm still not 100, 110% sold on the Yankees in that, of course, a couple of years ago, it was in the year that, you know, I hate to bring it up, that they beat your twins. Mm-hmm. It was, it was the year that the Yankees way overperformed. That was just, you know, the Yankees are only two seasons removed from that. And I think that they still need one more year of gelling before they get to that top, top tier. And I think the Astros are already there. Um, offensively, they're incredible, but the pitching is ridiculous, too. I mean, they have two legitimate Cy Young candidates. I don't know, man. I, I think that the Astros are a force to be reckoned with this season. And to that point, I think that A.J. Hinch is a really, really good candidate for AL Manager of the Year. Well, you look at that American League Manager of the Year race. You know, the Minnesota Twins won 78 games last year. They already have 88 this year. They set the home run record before the month of September. Rocco Baldelli could be the front runner, but I think there's still a case for Aaron Boone in his second year at the helm of the New York Yankees. They're going to win 100 games despite all the injuries they've had to deal with and all the players they've sent to the injured list. So the American League Manager of the Year race, which at one point looked like it could be pretty clear-cut, is going to come right down to the wire, it looks like. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think that when you look at Rocco Baldelli and Aaron Boone, you're looking at two guys that have done incredible stuff this year despite going through some hardships. When you obviously boom with the injuries, Baldelli coming into a really, really tough situation. Um, 
I don't know. I think that it should either be, to be honest, I think it should be either Baldelli or Hinch. Um, I mean, even when you look at the MVP race, Mike Trout, there's, you know, if he doesn't win it this season, it's, it's a travesty. And I think that with these awards, not just in baseball, but in all sports, for whatever reason, repeated greatness is typically not honored. And that happens with Mike Trout nearly every year. It happens with LeBron James nearly every year. A.J. Hinch has not won a manager of the year before, and that is obviously part of the reason I think he should win it. But I would have absolutely no problem if Paul Daly win it. I think I'm kind of split 50-50 there, and I'd give – if it's out of 150%, I'd probably go probably 51 Baldelli, 50 for A.J. Hinch, and 49 for Aaron Boone. So I don't have a problem if it goes either of the three ways. Over in the National League, things are a little bit easier for me. I think Cody Bellinger is going to win this year's MVP. I think he's going to edge out Yelich. If anything, the tiebreaker criteria being how their teams finish in their respective standings, the Dodgers are a better team than Milwaukee this year, and they're going to finish as such. And as far as manager of the year goes, I'm leaning toward Davey Martinez. What he's done turning Washington around, you just can't understate that. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, Dave Martinez is a great coach. Um Actually, I met him a couple of weeks ago up at, up at an event of the hmm. D.C. Grade, the team I used to work for, Health. Um, I almost didn't recognize him when I first saw him. But nonetheless, I think that Martinez is a really, really, really good candidate. I'm almost going with a dark horse a little bit. I like Mike Schilt hmm. of, uh, of St. Louis. I mean, that's just somebody you didn't really see the Cardinals coming on as strong this year as they did and the NL Central was just a, a crapshoot for most of the season, and they really pulled away. But I think it's either Davey Martinez, uh, Dave Roberts, Mike Schilter. Honestly, I know Brian Snicker won it last year, but the, the Braves were way under, excuse me, overperforming last year, and they finished at 90-72 and 72 last year, which was incredible. But then when you look at this season – they have the exact same amount of wins, but they're 90 and 55. That's a team that is still way overperforming, and I don't think it should be overlooked. I honestly think Snitker deserves it more this year than he did last year, but I don't think he's going to get oh, yeah. it this year. Yeah, that's the thing, and it's, it's you know kind of another hit on to one of those repeated greatness things. He's been great yet again, as have the Braves. They paid a couple of their guys. I don't think they actually, I don't think they paid their guys enough, but they signed and. There they are, but yeah, I think that I think Snicker is very, very deserving, and I think that if it goes to either, any of those four guys, I wouldn't be surprised or I wouldn't be mad. Well, I tell you what, looking at Rookie of the Year now, in the National League, it's pretty clear-cut. It's the Pete Alonso sweepstakes, especially with Fernando Tatis out for the rest of the year. And the American League, though, I don't know that I have a favorite between Jordan Alvarez. I don't think Aloy Jimenez is getting talked about enough. You have Vlad Guerrero Jr., of course. It's hard to pick a favorite. I don't know that I have one. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know that I do either. I mean, obviously, I'm who isn't a big Vlad Jr. guy? But um, I don't know, man. I, I'd like to see Vlad Jr. win it. Obviously, he came on a little bit late this season. What was it? like? I can't remember when he came on. Maybe like 50 games into the season. But um, from the performance we saw in the home run derby to his second half of the season, I think that he would be a really, really good candidate to win it. Tanner Hoops along with Andrew Banstra, play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. We're coming up against a break, Andrew. I want to pick your brain on a little football, though. Can you hang around through the break? Oh, please. 
All right, let's take a time out. We'll talk a little NFL with Andrew next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of the show today, including our interview with Stu Gatz, be sure to check it out on demand. Get our free mobile app from the Apple App Store, Google Play, or look up ESPNUP.com. Tanner Hoops with you, joined by Andrew Banster, play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs. Glad that you're along. I tell you what, switching to football now, I don't know, Andrew, that we're going to get a better game than what New Orleans and Houston gave us last night on Monday Night Football. Yeah, there's no question about it. Of course, Monday Night Football is always something that people are going to look forward to. Sometimes a little bit overlooked. It feels like week one finally over, and then you're like, oh, yeah, you still got Monday night. But you know what? That was an incredible, incredible game. Those are two teams that you really need to watch out for come the end of the season. Deshaun Watson has once again proved himself to be in that elite category, and Drew Brees once again proving himself as a guy that is just old but will never not be good. And honestly, on kind of a little bit of a different note, I don't know that we're ever going to see a 10-year period with as many good old quarterbacks as we have in these last <laughs> even five years. When you look at Peyton Manning in his you know really late 30s, and you look at a guy like, of course, Drew Brees now in his 40s, and obviously Tom Brady. I mean, not too often you have three elite 40-year-old quarterbacks. Yeah, Tom Brady starting his first game as a 42-year-old on Sunday. I tell you what, Andrew, there was another missed call involving the New Orleans Saints last night. It went against New Orleans, and I'm sure those officials weren't out partying on Bourbon Street afterwards. I don't think they could have. The NFL's just got to get this right at some point. I know they took responsibility for the call afterwards per Drew Brees' post-game interview, but at some point, this is the top league in the world. I mean, you've got to have officials who are going to get this right. That's the thing. I mean, it's... You know, I think that goes across all sports. We had a we had a play like that a couple of weeks ago, and it actually intersected with these Atlantic League MLB rule changes. And the league acknowledged that the long the wrong call was made, but they still won't go against the call. And and I get that, but at the same time, I mean, I don't know. As a fan, I you know I just gotta think that at a point you say I'm sorry to the referees. You were wrong, and let's go back and fix it. And I don't know what the whole stigma is around sports about going back and getting things right, but, you know, with a thing like last year with the Saints and the Rams, I just never understood. I guess I get it a little bit, but at the same time, I would have liked to see them just go back and say, okay, that play was incorrect. Let's just go back to the previous play and restart. I don't know that that would have worked, but nonetheless, I think that at a point, you know, maybe you got to lean more on technology, whatever you have to do to get it right, because whatever's happening right now just isn't cutting it. Well, I tell you what, they said on Golick and Wingo this morning, and I couldn't agree more with this, wins and losses are not quarterback stats because Deshaun Watson did everything possible to give the Texans a win last night. It was a mismanagement on their defensive part. Romeo Crennel, as good of a football mind as he is, a veteran defensive coordinator, I credit Booger McFarlane with his call in the final couple plays or so of that game. The Texans' defense was atrocious. They kept the safeties back. It was a prevent defense. Brees is too smart of a quarterback. He knew it from the line of scrimmage, picked him apart, and he got it within field goal range for Will Lutz, who eventually kicked the game winner. You just can't do that against a quarterback as good as Drew Brees. And I will say this about Deshaun Watson. He is not afraid of the bright lights. One of my favorite stats about him, during primetime games in his NFL career, 
16 touchdowns, one pick. His health has been his biggest nemesis, but he is a guy that's been built for the prime time. No, there's no question about it. I mean, and, and you're exactly right with that Texans play. And I mean, Buddha McFarland hit it on the head. It's just, I don't know, you hate to see that great of a game come down to one little miss. You, but you're exactly right. A guy like Drew Brees is going to get you 30 times out of 30 when you go with a three safety back, which I still don't understand. He's going to get you every day. Well, then in the nightcap, we retreated to maybe a better game than a lot of us thought as Oakland beats Denver 24-16. to I tell you what, I really like the Josh Jacobs story. He was awesome to watch in the field last night. Such an awesome story behind him. And you know what? I feel, I feel good for Gruden. You know, I like Gruden. And, you know, he's got to feel a little vindicated after the whole Antonio Brown saga. Getting his 100th career regular season win last night, becoming just the 43rd NFL coach to achieve that. Yeah, and a, a couple of points on that. Of course, my first point would be that the best thing about Josh Jacobs performing last night was that he's on one of my fantasy teams. But um, <laughs> Way to keep things in perspective. That, I still lost. He made it close, which almost <laughs> makes it worse. But, it, you know, in a way, you think about the Raiders and a couple of years ago, something that I forget about all the time, just a couple of years ago, the Raiders were serious, serious contenders you know, when they had a great receiving core of guys like Crabtree and Amari Cooper and Khalil Mack on defense. Obviously, extremely underperformed last year, but Derek Carr is still a good quarterback, and they really played well last night. If nobody, I mean, if anybody is looking for a fantasy pickup, Darren Waller and Tyrell Williams are going to be two guys that are going to be real forces in the fantasy world. Yeah, Darren Waller, a guy they just signed off the street, and they really believe he could be one of the best tight ends in football. Your Packers, though, put on a defensive effort the other night. I know we got a pretty good Packer contingent listening up here. You think that Packer defense is for real, or you think Trubisky was just struggling? Yeah, that's that's the real question. And obviously, you know, Aaron Rodgers mentioned preseason that he was excited about the defense, said it two times in his post-game interview and said it once in his press conference that our defense is back or, you know, we have a defense or whatever it is that he exactly said. You know, I would love to say that that defense is for real, and I think that to some extent they are. I just don't think that they're an elite defense. I think that Mitchell Trubisky was just flat out not very good in that game. Um, I think that the Bears don't have a dominant offensive threat, and I think that that was their problem last year too, although Matt Nagy made it work. They're one of those teams that loves to spread the love, which kills you once again. Kills you as a fantasy owner. Don't ever own a bear. He's not going to do a whole lot for you. But the, the point is is that they, I think they spread the love a little bit too much, and I think that the Packers did a terrific job. Some really good drafting over the last couple of years, finally panning out, and I really, really like the aggressiveness and free agency this season by Green Bay to go out and get four really, really good defensive players. And, of course, who makes the big pick at the end of the game but a former Bear. Mm-hmm. Adrian Amos, a little vindication for him as well. We're talking with Andrew Banster, by the way, play-by-play voice of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, co-host of the Interference Podcast. i tell you what, Andrew, I think there's some truth to both statements that the Packer defense is better and Trubisky just was that bad. And I tell you what, the Packers did retool this offseason. They retooled that defense. I still think their best football is maybe two years away on defense. Like I think this defense is going to continue to get better and better and that they're still a couple of years away from reaching their peak. That being said, I still think they're one of the best defenses in the NFL this year, but they're going to get a really good test with the Vikings this weekend. Should be another low-scoring game, but 
to me, that would be the benchmark. That'll be the litmus test to tell me where the Packers contend in the NFC North. Yeah, and the Vikings have a really, really impressive offense this season. They showed in week one that they're not going to be as apt to throw the ball all that often with Kirk Cousins. Maybe that was a one-week thing. He only had ten pass attempts. Um, but clearly they have great receiving options in Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. Dalvin Cook proved to be very legit. My last point on the Packers is that you mentioned it. I mean, I think that Packers defense is two years away from being great. Is Aaron Rodgers still Aaron Rodgers at that point? And I think that the only real thing stopping him from being that would be injuries. He's proved injury prone. The other thing is that for a Packers team that for years and years focused so much on drafting just a plethora, ridiculous plethora of offensive threats, suddenly the Packers only have one real pass catcher. I mean, you can't say that Marquez Valdez-Cantling is legit, legit. Jimmy Graham is underutilized, was used well in week one, but Devontae Adams is your only real threat. That was the problem all year last year, and it just worries me that they don't really have somebody. That's why, to be honest, I was really, really hoping that the Packers, although I knew for a literal fact that they there was zero chance that they would, I was hoping that they would aggressively go after Antonio Brown. Well, I tell you what, Andrew, talk a little more about Mitch Trubisky. He showed promise last year, took a step forward. He seemed to take a major step back last Thursday. I want to ask you about a quarterback comparison. Actually, i got a couple for you, one being Trubisky or Jimmy Garoppolo, two quarterbacks who really struggled in week one. Which would you predict would get out of his funk first? I think that it's going to be Garoppolo, and I think that because of what we saw in his very first season in San Francisco, he went to just an atrocious team in the 49ers, and then he won six in a row. And it's a guy that, I mean, you see it all around the NFL. You see what Jacoby Brissett was able to do the other day. These guys that are branches of the tree that is the everlasting Belichick and Brady brain trust, the guys that come from that are typically pretty good acorns. Garoppolo has proved that in his own right. I just don't see it for Mitch Trubisky. Obviously, he was good last year. He's not a game manager, but he's also not not a game manager. And I think that Garoppolo is much more of a legit, legit quarterback. He has it all. He does everything you want him to do. On the other hand, you know, like I said, Trubisky's not a game manager, but he's not going to win the game by his lonesome. He's got to rely on his defense a whole lot. I think that not only who's going to get out of his funk first is going to be Garoppolo, there's not a question in my mind. You look back at their careers and you think that Garoppolo was a much better quarterback all in all. The other quarterback scenario I had for you was between two guys who had really good days on Sunday. Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott each were under heavy criticism this offseason, myself included, despite leading their team to the postseason last year. They were both excellent on Sunday, albeit neither played a very good team. Jackson went up against the Miami Dolphins. Prescott played the New York Giants. Which of those quarterbacks do you expect to be able to perform like that on a consistent basis? I don't know. I... I think that it'll be Dak, but that's not what I want to say, because I've seen Dak play very poorly far too many times to say that. I think that Lamar Jackson, very much like Deshaun Watson, is a guy that, for whatever reason, was slept on even after performing incredibly well at the collegiate level. Of course, we remember Lamar Jackson was setting all of those touchdown records in Houston. Deshaun Watson took down the Crimson Tide. Both of them slipped back in the draft and had very low expectations coming into year one. 
Lamar Jackson is definitively not going to get to the level that Deshaun Watson is at. But to your point, I think that Lamar Jackson has a lot more upside. Dak is confining himself a little bit into the pocket. Zeke will come around, and they're going to start using him as a workhorse once again, especially now that they've paid him. I think that Lamar Jackson probably won't throw for that many touchdowns maybe ever again in his career, but he can use his legs extremely, extremely well. I think that Jackson has more upside. I think that Prescott is in a much better situation, and I think that the stats aren't going to pop again for Jackson like that, only because you're not going to be able to burn everybody deep every week, and they're going to rely heavily on Mark Ingram and Justice Hill. It's no secret that they want to run the ball, and they want to run the ball a lot. I like your answer. I think you hit the nail on the head. The worry for me with Prescott being, you know, he wants that contract. If he gets his money, are we going to see a drop-off in play? Because we've seen it way too many times with other quarterbacks more talented than him. You're exactly right, and that's just a real question. I mean, like I said, I've seen Dak play and play poorly far too many times. He clearly has a good rapport with um, a guy like, Amari Cooper, of course. Michael Gallup had a great week one. Another guy you should maybe look forward to picking up in your fantasy whiteboard wires. Uh, but everybody had a stat set a day um, for, the, for the Cowboys. But you know better than anybody else that's a giant secondary that was ridiculously good a couple of years ago. It isn't quite as good as it once was. I just don't know that it's for real, but you could echo the same thing with Lamar Jackson. I mean, the Dolphins are just they're not a good team and you can't really base that performance based off of that nonetheless both of those quarterbacks clung the rock last week they're going to be really fun to watch going forward i'm more excited for lamar jackson there's something about Dak prescott that is just kind of middle of the road for me and i don't know what it, what it is i just don't think that he's the guy i think that lamar jackson if he can stay healthy has a lot of upside I'm almost to the point where the Giants need to put a pin in their quarterback controversy because their defense is just atrocious. That is the weakest part of their team. But like you mentioned, neither is a very good benchmark, the Dolphins nor the Giants' defense. The argument for those who discredit Lamar Jackson's performance in Week 1 saying it was just against the Miami defense, that means everybody should be able to go out and hang 59 on the Dolphins' defense. Although this is my favorite stat, I think, of the day. The Dolphins started the year with their Super Bowl odds at 300 to 1. They were at 500 to 1 entering week 1 on Sunday. FanDuel's latest odds have them at plus 17,000 to win the Super Bowl this year. And here's the thing, here's my favorite stat as we go into week 2. They're hosting the Patriots this weekend. The Patriots you saw just dismantle Pittsburgh. Miami was dismantled by Baltimore. Now the Patriots are 19 point favorites going into this game. That seems like a no-brainer. you got to take the points right. But the thing that's tricky is that Miami has inexplicably been a really tough place for New England to play. New England has dropped five of their last six games at Miami, including the Miami Miracle last year. And here's one of the most amazing stats to me. It just blows my mind. Since 2013, the Patriots have lost as many road games at Miami as they have home games in Foxborough. Really? They've lost five games at each since 2013. That's incredible. I mean, yeah, the whole Miami thing doesn't make sense, and it really never has. But, you know, I mean, I think I take the points. I, I think, I, I don't know, with how good New England looked last week against Pittsburgh, I think I take the points. Plus, you have AB, whether that be a good or a bad thing. 
I think it's probably a good thing. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that uh, Greeny was right on ESPN in saying that nobody can bring down what Bill Belichick has built in terms of culture, not even Antonio Brown. So it's going to be really interesting, but I saw Tom Brady and Antonio Brown hanging out last night. Yeah, that's all the league needs is Antonio Brown and Tom Brady teaming up and getting set to set the league on fire. But with that, we are out of time. Andrew Banster, play-by-play man of the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, joins us on the ESPN-UP phone line. Appreciate you as always, my man. I always enjoy talking with you. We'll be sure to have you on again here soon. Go Crabs! Yeah, man, let's go Blue Crabs. And anytime you want me on, you know I'm your guy. I always love talking sports with you. You bet. I'll take you up on that offer. We are done for the day. I appreciate you tuning in as always. Don't forget, check out Stugatz On Demand if you missed it earlier with the ESPN-UP app or ESPNUP.com. I'm back on tomorrow, same time and place, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope you join me. Until then, signing off from downtown Marquette, Michigan, I'm Tanner Hoops.